man by the name of William Caroso was an English lay minister in the Wesleyan Church in the late 1700s, and he did that for about 60 years. All of his children were saved except one. Being very burdened by this and heartbroken by this, he reached out uh, to another brother in Christ for counsel, and this brother counseled him to claim a promise from God regarding this last child who was separated from Christ. The counsel wasn't what he expected, but he respected this brother and said, well, if he's giving me that counsel, then it must be solid, and I'm going to take him at his word. And so he agreed to it. They parted, and William Caverso said there came a sweeping sensation into his heart, the words, there shall not an hoof be left behind from Exodus 10.26. That was all that he needed. That was all that he needed to hear from the Lord, and he took a position of faith based on that. He took a a position of faith. So for 10 days, he saw no change whatsoever. Praying, trusting God, 10 days, no change at all. On the 10th day, he was plowing near his home when a message came from his wife. Do come at once. It seems our daughter will die. So he rushes home and gets to the room of his daughter and asks, what's the matter? In agony, she cried, oh, Father, pray for me. I do believe I am lost. And in very little time, she rested by faith upon the finished work of Jesus Christ for salvation. She told her father that 10 days ago that when he came home after that meeting, from meeting with that brother, something got a hold of her heart that she could not shake off and that she had been miserable ever since. It was the very night that her father had claimed that promise from God. Psalm 93.5 tells us, Thy testimonies are very sure. They're not just sure, they're very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. Uh, This word testimony, it is a judicial term. It refers to the declaration made by a witness to establish something as true. So whatever God has declared to be true, whatever God has promised you and me according to his word, we can be very sure about We can stand on it. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are saying. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter how hard it might seem or how impossible it might seem. If God said it, it's very sure. It's very sure. When God gives you a promise from His Word, you must understand He absolutely cannot break it. He will not do that. So in 2 Samuel, we're looking at the promise, the covenant that God made with David, the Davidic covenant, and the full scope of this covenant is remarkable in a number of ways. But one of the ways that it is absolutely remarkable is considering the fact of what God knew before He made this covenant with David. Because he is omniscient, knowing all things. 
So, with that in mind, God made this covenant with David knowing what was coming in David's life. Knowing that day on the roof was coming when he saw a woman bathing. Knowing what was coming with Solomon who would eventually lose his ever-loving mind and nosedive into paganism and idolatry. God made that covenant knowing all of that. That's, that's incredible to me. That's astounding to me. And that brings us to a critical truth today, and it is this. God's promises ultimately depend on His faithfulness, not ours. That's huge. It didn't depend on David. It didn't depend on Solomon. And it doesn't depend on you. God's promises always depend ultimately on God. On God being a promise-keeping, faithful God who cannot and will not lie. This is one of the reasons we can stand on these promises. If they depended on you and me, we couldn't stand on that, could we? The Bible tells us that man in his best state is altogether what? Vanity. On your best day, you don't make it. You don't make the cut. On my best day, I don't measure up. So we've seen three of the seven promises included in this covenant. We saw the doctrinal implication of those. We also made some personal observations, some takeaways for us in the church age, and we'll see more of that today. But in the first three, we saw the promises of provision. That is, God is, this is one of the, and you want to talk about an amazing study. A study that will absolutely light you up spiritually, will turn your spiritual walk upside down, will usher you into a deeper intimacy with God. Do a study on the traits of God. That will light you up. That will fill your heart with eternal joy. Because one of the things you are going to encounter when you do a study on who God is is that He is Jehovah Jireh. That is, He is the God who sees to it or the God who provides. Time and time again in my life, I have been staring down the barrel of a situation that said my resources and my abilities are absolutely no match whatsoever for this. I am quickly overwhelmed. I am quickly, I mean, this is over before it starts, and God says, not for Jehovah Jireh. I am the God who sees to it. I am the God who provides. I am the God who will do this. Faithful is he who calleth you and will do it. That's him. We looked at the promise of posterity. If we make disciples, we have the promise of having eternal descendants. What a promise. And then the promise of privilege. The privileges afforded to believers in Jesus Christ, are they not ridiculous? Come on. They're ridiculous. Like there are times I read my Bible and I'm saying to myself, God, I know for a fact that I am nowhere near worthy of this. 
I mean, this is bold. This is crazy. This is beyond. I mean, like, come on. There's no. It's just grace. It's grace. It's faithfulness. It's love. It's goodness. Like, I. You know, one of the things. Listen, I know how some of you think because I know humanity. Do you understand that God loves you because he wants to, not because he has to? I think sometimes we look at ourselves like, oh, God just, let me ask you a question. Do you look at your kids that way? I doubt it. No, I love my children because I want to love my children. Come on. God says, I love you because I'm love. Even when I grieve the Spirit of God, this is one of the things I can't get over, okay? I don't care how much deep theology you might know about the Word of God and how doctrinally astute you think you might be. Here's something that I can never get over. What I can't get over is how a God can be omniscient. Holy, holy, holy. A God who is light and in him is no darkness at all. Know everything you could possibly know about a person like me. And yet there is never any adjusting in his love barometer for me. It never moves. Oh, love you a little bit more today. Uh, Not today. Oh, boy, that really grieved me. Mm. God says, there's nothing I could ever do that would provoke him to love me more or love me less. He's love. Husbands, that's how you love your wife, by the way. Her performance, irrelevant. Sweetheart, there is nothing you could do to cause me to love you more or love you less. My love for you is never on the table. You've got it. 24-7. You could be the best wife I've ever seen, the worst I've ever seen today. But I love you. (laughs) And I'm going to serve you. And I'm going to minister to you. And I'm going to be gracious to you. Regardless of your performance. Amen? Amen? But there are more promises for David to consider and more for us as well. Verse 13. He shall build an house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So in this fourth promise, it was a descendant who would build God a house. We've titled this whole series, this whole study of the book of 2 Samuel, Uh, we've titled it Matters of the Heart. Week after week, are we not being challenged to keep or to guard our hearts with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life, Proverbs 4.23. Is that not the score every week? Are you not being challenged? I know I'm being challenged. Uh, bathing in this before it gets to you. And in verse 13, guess what we encounter? We encounter another challenge, another test of the heart. Another heart test. And this is the kind of test that uh, all of us are going to 
have to take as we walk with the Lord. All of us, including me. Because not only did God inform David that he would not build him a house, he's now informing him that someone else will. How about that for a test? How about that for a test? Listen, few things test our hearts like watching God use someone in a way that we desire to be used by God. Boy, that, that, is, a, that is a graduate school level test. When you are watching God use someone in a way that if you were to be completely honest, you are burning inside for Him to use you that way. I have been there where there has been something in my heart that I was just itching and burning to do, and God says, I'm going to choose Chris Best to do that. No, uh, sorry, Lord, I know you're perfect, but this might be the one time (laughs) that, because I have been praying and waiting, and this is here, and it's best. Nothing against best. But I think I might be the best one for this. Right? Even though it would be his son who would build it, David's desire to build it was still great. And the way that he prepared for the building of it, you would have thought he was going to build it after all. I mean, this man went after it in terms of helping to get ready, but a wise man said something. We're having a conversation that's been many years ago now, but a wise man said something years ago. And when he said it, it was one of those moments where I just sensed from the Spirit of God that this was something I needed to file away and keep in my mind and keep in my heart and that I was never to forget it. This man was a pastor as well, but he said this. He said, pastors can get addicted to attention. And he just kept going. And it was just like, oof. Hold on to that. (laughs) Don't lose that. See, when someone is addicted to attention, they will be envious and very critical of those who are getting the kind of attention that they desire. This is what we saw in 1 Samuel, right? King Saul. Saul has killed his thousands, David his ten thousands. And oh my goodness, man, he was full of wrath. Totally shifted the rest of his reign. The rest of his ministry was all about how do I eliminate that guy? Wow. One of the things I admire about Sam, you've seen this over the years, is how unselfish he is with his pulpit. Very unselfish. If you're an MVT for any length of time, just watch. You're going to see face after face after face after face running through that pulpit. But this is the issue with those who are addicted to attention. The issue is they are preoccupied with their name. They're caught up with their name. Would you look back in chapter 2 very quickly? 
and uh, chapter six, I'm sorry, of Second Samuel and verse two. And David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Bali of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. Would you look back again in chapter 7 where we were in verse 13. He shall build an house for, say it with me, my name. My name. Would you look down to verse 26? And let, say it with me, thy name be magnified forever, saying, the Lord of hosts is the God over Israel, and let the house of thy servant David be established before thee. Listen, it is both exciting and terrifying to watch God do what only He can do in a, in a, in a, in a, in a local church. Like, it is exciting and terrifying. Like, you're watching it. People are getting saved. Disciples are being made. Uh, the church is, is literally all over the world. Before COVID, I remember we had, I don't know, over 100 people go on a missions trip in a year. We were all over the world. I mean, you, we were all over the world. Praise God. But here's where it gets terrifying, because inevitably, leaders are tempted to make it about their name. So let me tell you why all that's happening. Let me tell you why people are getting saved. Let me tell you why disciples are being made. Let me tell you why over 100 people went on a mission trip this year. The reason that all of that is going down is because of my preaching. Uh, that's going down because of my leadership. Uh, th that's going down because of how well I can envision and, 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 and strategize and organize and all of that. Though we never come out and say it, inside, that's the conversation. I don't care who you are, all of us in the flesh have an appetite for vainglory. Your flesh has an appetite for vainglory. It wants glory. It wants credit. That's your flesh. Listen, an appetite to be seen and heard will serve as a point of entry for the devil to divide us and hinder the work. That's all it takes is if it's just one person in life fellowship who is determined to stand out. If it's just one person who is determined to say, well, th th this faith position, uh, I I'm your man, I'm your woman, I, I, I know how to make sure that happens. Versus all of us being in complete agreement that in this flesh dwells no good thing, and God, we're desperate, we need you. God, we can't. We believe you can. Would you hear this? Great glory and fruit for God are produced by selfless people. That's where it's at. 
That's where it's at. That's how it happens. Selfless people. This is a people who are not about self. You know what? Uh, great glory and, and, and great fruit for God are produced by selfless people. Listen, uh, uh, great marriages are comprised of selfless people. Selfless. It's about God's glory and it's about Lori. And she's nodding. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Did she get a hand up? (laughs) Okay, you might want to give her another one. (laughs) She's she's being snarky. She's being snarky, I think. (laughs) Um, Okay, so back on track here. See, I'm not like Sam. I can't just shift gears like that. Like, get into the comedy box and then get back into the preaching box. I, I get all messed up. So. Um, so this house that Solomon would build for God, as magnificent as this house was, it was about God's name. It was about God's glory. Not Solomon's. Not Solomon's. And since it was about God's name and God's glory, guess what? That meant there was great purpose in building this house for the ark of God. So in this fourth promise, we see the promise of purpose. Boy, this is a big one. This is a big one. Uh, For people all over the world, this is a big one. In 2021, LifeWay research reported that during the pandemic, fewer Americans are convinced there's something more to this life than their daily activities. They went on to say, and have become open to the idea that this might be as good as it gets. How sad. How sad. If they are right which they're not, but if they are right, if this is as good as it gets, if if this is all that there is, then I've got some really bad news for you. We're all wasting our time this morning. We ought to just really, don't even go to main service, just go home, work as hard as you can, make as much money as you can make, and acquire as many toys as you can, if this is it. And be like Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. Just give yourself the pleasure. Whatever you think is going to make you happy. I mean, you just become a hedonist. If this is it. But they are grossly wrong. Grossly. Colossians 1.16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him. And would you say it with me? And for him. You want purpose? You got it. And for him is a purpose statement. It speaks to the purpose of something. It speaks to the purpose of someone. Listen, you were created for Him. 
That's why you have air in your lungs right now. It's for him. That's why you have sight in your eyes for him. Why you have hearing in your ears for him. While you have movement in your members. Why? For him. It's all for him. It's all for him. And listen, this is the sweet spot. None of it is for you. None of it is about you. None of it is about me. It's all for him. This is why people who have a tremendous inventory of resources commit suicide. They have every toy, every bell and whistle that life can offer. And yet day after day after day, they can't solve this purpose riddle. Is this it? I've got more money than I I will ever know what to do with. More money than I could ever spend. I've got more toys and devices and comforts and luxuries that anybody can want. Again, Ecclesiastes. Yet I am as empty as a hole in the ground. And I keep trying this and I keep trying that and and every time it leaves me hanging. When the dust clears, I'm just as empty as I was before. What's going on? Here's what's going on. The true meaning of life is found in Christ and living for Him. That's it. The true meaning of life is found in Christ and living for Him. If all things were created by Him and for Him, then guess what? No one can or will discover the true meaning of life apart from Him. You can't. You can't. You absolutely can't. And what is hard to process Because in ministry, you get this visual, whether you want it or not, you're going to get it. But what's hard to process is someone who is in Christ, but they're not living for Christ. You're going to get that movie whether you want it or not. And these are people who, they're in Christ, they have been blessed with all spiritual blessings. They've been made to sit together in heavenly places. All those promises are theirs. All that is true for them. Yet they're frustrated. They're empty. Life's not working. And they keep trying this and they keep trying that. They're just like a lost person. Where the meaning of life is just make as much as you can, acquire as much as you can, and get as much as you can get out of this life, because this is it. How wasted. How wasted. How wasted. Someone said this years ago, and it stayed with me. 
He said, the best way to test if you've been called to something is ask yourself, would you do it for nothing? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, this is no disrespect to whatever it is that God has called you to or whatever you do uh, in your career or what have you, but if I could, I would do this for nothing. I've got the greatest job in the world. I get to be a pastor. I don't say that because of the position or anything like that. It's this is what God called me to. I will never forget the night when God made this crystal clear to me. I was traveling on the circuit. I was dog tired. I had a full time job. I was a shepherd school student. I was discipling about three guys. I was preaching on the circuit. I was leading a sports ministry. At K- I mean, I was just, I was single. That's what, you know, it was just, yes, 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 yes. I mean, I was stretched. And uh, I was preaching. You guys met Chad Pritchett a couple, weeks, couple months ago. He preached here. Uh, I was preaching out five-hour drive. I did Sunday school, I did the main service, I did the evening service, and I'm driving back across I-70. I got a five-hour drive. It's raining. I got to go to work the next morning. And I will never forget it. I was driving, and everything was just quiet. And it just dawned on me. It was the Lord. I'm not being charismatic. This was the Lord, okay? But it dawned on me. Where it's like, have you been paying attention? This is all you've been doing for the past six years. Just teaching the word of God. Discipling, evangelizing, preaching. You, you're, not, you're not asking for these doors. You're, I just keep using it. You know what? It became clear to me. This is it. This is what God has for me. This is God's call on my life. There's nothing else for me to give myself to. There's nothing else for me to do. I wasn't even married yet. I would meet Lori shortly after that, where it's like, wow, praise the Lord. I've met this wonderful woman, but I want to make sure you understand, because by then I had seen guys who were single and were serving the Lord faithfully, and then they got married. And they married a woman who said, I will be your first and only ministry. So you're going to focus on me and make sure that I'm happy all the time. And I'm like, well, (laughs) Lori, you're wonderful, but I want to make sure your expectations aren't that, because if they are, I'm not the guy. Because I have no intentions whatsoever of going the other way or dowling back. I've heard from the Lord, this is the call God has on my life, and it's non-negotiable. Oh, praise the Lord. I married a wonderful woman. It definitely helps. She grew up in a pastor's home, <laughs> so she understands it. Praise God. But this is it for me. There's nothing else. And listen, you don't have to be a pastor to have that testimony. You don't. All you have to do is agree with Christ that your existence is for him. 
not for you. And if you do that, guess what? That will be your testimony. But we encounter the fifth promise to David in the rest of verse 13. It says, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So the fifth promise is a kingdom that God would establish forever. This is the second mention of the word throne in 2 Samuel. We found the first mention in 2 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 10, where we see the first mention of the very critical phrase, throne of David, there in 2 Samuel 3 and verse 10, which is significant to the study of 2 Samuel. But the mention there is the throne of David being set up. So it's being set up here in 2 Samuel. But this phrase, throne of his kingdom, refers to the power and reign of a king over a kingdom. So again, you're seeing this as we're coming through this section of 2 Samuel. We've, we've seen that this, this covenant involves a people, Israel. It involves a throne. It involves a king. It involves a house. It involves a kingdom. And you're seeing this as we as we come through this. But but the fact that this is ultimately pointing to Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is punctuated for us in Luke chapter one, beginning in verse 30. And the angel said unto her, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So that captures the fullness of what we're looking at here in 2 Samuel as it relates to, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever is pointing to Christ, who is the legal, not biological, son of David, which entitles him to rule and reign over the Davidic kingdom, which he will do in the millennium. So in this fifth promise, we see the promise of power. We see the promise of power, which a king has. Solomon would have that. Christ has it. All power has been given unto him in heaven and in earth, right? And that is going to be on full display when he rules and reigns in the kingdom. But listen, for us, it's so critical for us to hear this and to agree with God and, and to, to fully embrace this. I'm, I'm, I'm desperate for you. I'm desperate for me to hear this and embrace this because power comes with the benefits package of being in Christ. It's part of your spiritual benefits package. When you, when you work for a company and, and they have benefits and you get those benefits, there, there are, there are benefits. There are, there are blessings, right? That, are part of that benefits package. Right? Things like health insurance and, 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 and 401ks and things like that. These are all things that we appreciate, right? But listen, your benefits package in Christ, I mean, those things compared to, to this, 
Oh, man. You talk about a package. You talk about a benefits package. Ho, 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 ho. You've got more blessings and resources. It's going to take you all of eternity to get your mind wrapped around it, maybe a little bit. How about this? Ephesians 3 and verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the, say it with me, power that worketh where? In us. I, I read somewhere in Romans chapter 8, I believe it's verse 11. So let me ask you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, where, where does it dwell? In us. Wait a minute. The, the power, I mean, the, the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, it, it, it's, it's in me? So let me, let, me, let, me, let me wrap my mind around this depression now. Let me wrap my mind around this addiction. Let me wrap my mind around this anger. Let me wrap my mind around this insecurity. Let me wrap my mind around this anxiety. Let, let me try and wrap my mind around this living in fear. Let me process the recurring excuses for why I'm stuck and I just can't move forward. So the, the power, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in me and and I, what I have to show for that is a defeated Christian life. Well, you don't know what my father did to me. Maybe I don't know, but I do know this. Your father is not more powerful than the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that dwells in you. I know that. Second Timothy 1 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but what has he given us? But of what? Power. Power. And of love and of a sound mind. That's that's the score. That's the score spiritually. You know, I, I had to come to the place. I had to come to the place where, because this is what, this is the place you come to when this book is in your, in your face, right? It brings you to the truth, doesn't it? Every time, because God only deals in truth. God does not deal any other way. 
God is not controlled by feelings. God is not influenced by intentions. None of that. God only deals in truth. So I had to come to the place in my life where God says, you know what? You have not only reached the line, but you've actually gone far beyond the line of blaming other people for things that are not working in your life. Every time you fall here, every time you struggle here, every time this doesn't work out, you always look back and, oh, it's because of that. It's because of that and that over there. And they did this to me. And God says that (laughs) your time is way up. (laughs) That's a tired act. Here's where it's going. Listen. The Spirit of God that indwells every believer is infinitely greater in power than any affliction, opposition, or temptation faced by a believer. Would you agree with that? Infinitely greater in power than your past. But here's the question. This is the question that comes up if that's true. Then why am I being so dominated by these things? Why are these things calling the shots in my life? Why are these things running roughshod over me? Why is affliction, opposition, and temptation playing God in my life? Why do they seem so much greater than him? Here's why. See, here's the thing, right? If if you haven't noticed, uh, praise God, I I love and I miss our dear brother Mark Trotter. Thank God for how God used him and so many of our lives. But I remember Mark saying uh, he was at a conference and it was they were teaching some some of the deeper things of God. And then when Mark got up, he goes, well, you can get your coloring books out. (laughs) That's me. (laughs) I'm the coloring book preacher. All right. I'm not going to be the brightest bulb in the room. I'm not going to blow you away. I'm not a deep thinker. But I can definitely answer the question why these things are dominating you. And I can do it with absolute certainty. And some of the most basic verses that have been in your face and have been in my face for many, many years in a church like this. Galatians 5, 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Ephesians 4, 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. And how about this for simplicity from 1 Thessalonians 5.19? Quench not the Spirit. You ready? Get ready. Because we're going to say something here based on this. That answers the question. 
It's already been answered in God's word here. But we're going to simplify it even more so, or try to anyway. Because you, you've got the promise of power. It's been given to you. You have it. It indwells you in the person of the Holy Ghost. But if depression and anger and addiction and misery and all of this stuff is calling the shots, here's why. The Holy Spirit of God, listen, requires our permission to release the power of God through us. Did you catch that? Have you ever thought about that? The Holy Spirit requires your permission to release the power of God through you. So if you don't give the Holy Spirit of God permission, He will not release the power of God in and through you. You go, where are you getting that? What did we read in Galatians 5.16? Walk in the Spirit. That is a command. Which means you and I have a choice to obey or disobey that. If we obey it, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Which means the power of God will be released in and through us to deny the flesh. But if we choose not to walk in the Spirit, guess what we're going to do? We're now for sure going to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Which means we're going to be dominated by these things. The Holy Spirit of God requires your permission to release the power of God in and through you. Grieve not the Spirit of God. That's a choice. Quench not the Spirit. You know what it means to quench? It means to extinguish. That is something that you and I do when we quench the Spirit. When we quench the Spirit, we take the carnal extinguisher of our flesh and we tell the Holy Spirit, no. We put out the fire that is brewing and burning in us to obey God and do right. We say no. This is why. This is, this is it. You know what? Spiritually, and I'm almost done. I can see the looks on some of your faces. Like, is he going to wrap up anytime soon this morning? I'm almost there. Listen. Spiritually. If Ephesians, if the book of Ephesians is true, and I believe every word of it is,
When you read that book, you just keep coming into this phrase in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, right? Which tells me this, spiritually speaking, you and I are just like Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. Had they not been blessed with all spiritual blessings? Yeah. Have we been blessed in all spiritual blessings? Yes. They were in the kingdom of heaven. What were they missing? But you know what? They had the ability to quench it, didn't they? And they did. They did. You and I, man, we've got power. Listen, I listen, please. I'm, I promise I'm going to say this and I'll be done. You have more power in you than every power plant in the state of Missouri combined. Every power plant in the state of Missouri could not raise Jesus from the dead. Only the Spirit of God could. And that dwells in you. But he needs your permission. He needs your compliance and mine. Father, I want to thank you for your word today. God, I do pray that we would run with it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.